Welcome, everyone, to episode one of Pneumatic Materials. I'm Nate. I'm Derek. Welcome. And in this episode, we interview Redacted. Uh, this is a, a great interview. We get into art, suffering, love, God, uh, the links between these, uh, these very uh, deep topics. The space between. Uh, <laughs> space between, exactly. Um, this is part one uh, of a two-part uh, interview, the second episode of which will be dropping probably the week after you hear this. Um, so stay tuned. You guys are in the same like house room. Yes, correct. Are you yes. in the same? Can you look? Can you see each other? We yes, we're, we're looking, looking right <laughs> at each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Yeah. So I don't. You know, this was something I was wondering. How would you like to be referred to or or introduced on this podcast? I don't know, man. I mean, I don't like. I don't really want to. I guess the the this situation is is that I don't want to want to associate with this sort of thing anymore. <laughs> that's, that's, to, that's like that's so, very understandable. Yeah. So the so the problem is that when since I don't want to associate with this sort of thing anymore, you have to use one of the names that is associated with this sort of thing for me because because if I because I'm no longer using those names. So they're only really in association to this thing to which I do not want to be associated, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can be... You can keep this all in to, if you want yeah. to. Yeah, funny. yeah. We're happy to have you be redacted um, for this. Yeah. For this. Yeah. No, but if, yeah. don't, don't you want the, uh, the, the, the fascination? If you, want, if you want the fascination of the, of the people, I don't know that anybody really cares about what, what this particular character of mine is up to at this stage in, in life or anything, but if you want to, you know, if you want to uh, see if there's a few people who are fascinated, then then feel free to, you know, do whatever you just just, just put all just put all of, just like that lady at the uh, the bar. Just just put all of the aliases I've ever used since high school. <laughs> yeah. huh. just, just to screw with me. The full rundown. Yeah. After yeah. after every we single record one the I ever used yeah. since we, I was seventeen. Then we do the deep dive. We're like, yeah, we we know what she said in the podcast, but here's the. 
<laughs> Here's every single name this individual has ever used for the last 10 years. All government <laughs> uh, aliases. Yeah. Social security. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, doxing the social security number of our guest it, it for was every like episode. It was like the craziest thing that ever happened. I mean, who... Because... God bless her, but who does that? It was like here's here's every name you've ever ever used since you were in high school that mo- that no one in this room knows about, but now they do. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, I could see that being a thing. It's like oh, I couldn't find anything else online except these you know loose facts, so I'll just you can't list even find these. those yeah. online. <laughs> <laughs> you can't really find anything. I was surprised. Well, I said that thing about I'm surprised she didn't say I was the the third in the state for the American Legion rhetorical competition. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, because that's a real achievement. That's like a real documented achievement of mine. That's, that's how that's it. how we're gonna introduce you in this one. Okay. I, <laughs> yeah, winner, okay. Yeah. I have a plaque from in my. <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> yeah, I was third in the state. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, with um, that was in. Wait, sorry. That was that for your classical musician, your your musical talents. For the American Legion Oratory, no, it's oh the Legion or, Award. Or, Sorry, I misheard oratory. you. Oratory, or is that the is that the noun? Oratory. Oh yeah, oratory, oratory. Yeah, your oratory, rhetorical, rhetorical skills, your public speaking. Yeah, I was an orator to, yeah. for the American Legion. <laughs> well, what does that entail? States. I'm I'm vaguely oh. familiar with the American Legion, so. I love telling this story. Just kidding, it's not a story. I never tell it. Also, uh, I never talk about this. Well, when I was in high school, <laughs> my. My vice principal, she. I wanted to switch a class, and my vice principal at the time said it was kind of like a, is the word like a Rochambeau? It's like or quid pro. It's like you do this for me, I do this for you. So she said, I will, <clears throat> I will switch you into the class that you should be in, if you do this for our local chapter of the American Legion because I need someone to represent the school, for the American Legion because it's very important to me. It's an issue to it. Blah blah blah. And I was like, okay. Sure, I'll do it. And I was like, and I, I went, I did not care about this. I mean, I did not prepare for it at all. I was also at many stages, one of the, f- there were very few entrants, you know, so I didn't have a lot of competition. Uh, <laughs> but, but I just didn't, I was like, okay, I'm doing this as a favor. So I, I, I just don't really, I'm not going to, it's not my passion. So, so basically you had to write a, an original 15 minute speech uh, that was something about America, <laughs> as far as I remember. <laughs> I don't really remember the specifics. <laughs> but I remember that to stretch mine out, I started it with the entire preamble of the Constitution. So, wow. so I just started, the, 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 the first five minutes of my speech was me going like, we the people of the United States of America, you know, you and then I don't remember it, yeah. the rest of it. You just got to give it some, uh, some like slam poetry enunciation. Well, I was really <laughs> into that the, back yeah. then because I was a teenager. As the as the person at the, uh, you know, as as I haven't, it was recently unpleasantly reminded of. I used to be really into that kind of stuff when I was a teenager in high school. Nice. So um, so people uh, so people but people went crazy for this speech. I mean, they, <laughs> <laughs> I mean they loved it. They kept they kept <laughs> passing me. They kept they kept you making me win. They kept. <laughs> So it was like multiple levels. stages of competition. You like oh, yeah. delivered the speech oh, more I, than I, once. Wow! I, I gave the speech like five times, and <laughs> I also had to do an extemporaneous round where I made up something else on the spot. So I won at like five levels, and at the state, I just the reason the reason I believe the reason I lost the state level, which is to say I came in third. So I mean I didn't lose that hard. I also got money. These were all paid. Uh, 
um, what's it called? The placements. Like whenever you won the competition, you got you got a certain amount of money, scholarship money, whatever. Oh, from yes. the American well, Legion. So, so that's I what the American Legion it. does now. I don't. I, yeah. I was like the a venue where we played with our like you know shitty metal bands in high school. You know, they'd rent it out at night, and we'd just go to the American <laughs> Legion and jam out. <laughs> That's how. That's my experience. The American Legion, yeah. contemporary oratory, and um, yeah, speed metal teenagers. That's yeah. about the yeah. extent of their activities these days. I think. And they gave you a scholarship, huh? And that's as American as it gets, really. Uh, so, but I think the reason that I lost was that the the it was a, in a big amphitheater, and I just couldn't. My voice, my little my little voice didn't carry. Um, because you know, I have a, I have one of those voices that doesn't, it does, it, 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 it's weird. It's not, in some environments, it just doesn't carry my voice. So I, I was just, I couldn't, they couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't hear me. <laughs> my beautiful yeah. speech. They just couldn't hear it. Ruined no. by the acoustic <laughs> dynamics of the venue. Many such cases, I'm sure. So, so I measly third place in the state, in the whole state of Pennsylvania. One 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 notch below the national level. Did they still give you a scholarship? They were so proud of me, yeah, and they gave me a plaque. As I said, I had this plaque wow. in my room. Yeah, wow. we we gotta we gotta post this pic. We gotta let all of our <laughs> listeners know we no to we, how many this listeners? This is do very you? important. <laughs> all five of our listeners will I be bet. so thoroughly <laughs> impressed. We have an American Legion award winner <laughs> on our on our. A budding new podcast about yeah. spirituality, but also you know mainly the oh the spirit you know, the, of America, <laughs> the spirit of America, what the American Legion, the important role the American Legion continues to play in <laughs> the world yeah, today. As of but ten years ago, yeah, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, but, I got no, I got, a, nice... I got a Freemason scholarship anonymously. <laughs> I don't know why, but I. Uh... It was for quote being a good citizen. That's not good there to reveal. Go. I, I don't. I, yeah, you should, probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> Damn it! Our Freemason connections are already. I, I literally had in. to go to a local chapter. It was very bizarre, mm. and a bunch of old they people ha- they gave me the money. They let you know the address. Yeah, yeah, I had to go somewhere to Isn't accept that like it. An underground thing. No, you know, Freemasons have. Lodges, yeah, the Masonic Temple, yeah, exactly. venues in a lot of like, places. Yeah. I think the, the, the towns near me had like an Elks Lodge, an American Legion, yeah. the VFW, VFW. Yeah, uh, so. yeah. I guess these are all clubs. Yeah. I don't really know a lot about clubs. Old social clubs from uh, the Boomers for post World War II uh, Facebook. Yeah, there Isn't are. I, I feel like there's a range from like just kind of veterans organizations that do like charity stuff to. I don't know. You've got weirder ones like the um, uh, the the Shriners are like they fund a bunch of hospitals. They wear these really weird hats. Um, <laughs> this is we're getting very off topic. Very it's quickly. my fault. They, they wear uh, no, uh, no 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 the, the, the pince nez. Uh, yeah uh, yeah yeah. It's like a fez or, or yeah. some weird Moroccan cosplay. Um, yeah. But a fun a fun Google search uh, definitely. But there's some kind of a joke that goes like uh, I would well. I would join a club and beat you with it or something. I would something, something I would join a club, because you know a club has multiple mm-hmm. uh, meanings. That's, so it could also yeah. mean a blunt object. So yes. I join, I'm joining with this club, I suppose, it's like I'm, it's in my hand. So I'm gonna yeah, I'm going to get together it. with this club and, uh, and beat you, and with, beat you it. with it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah something like that. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't jo- join any club that would have me I as have a member. Have me as a member. Yeah, that's another class. I'm. Uh, it's it's good to have another connoisseur of like old oh, hell, jokes. Let's just tell jokes. I'm the really- old, yeah. 
I don't know, but maybe. So we mentioned um, your your reading you gave recently. Um, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. You, I don't know. Uh, maybe to dive dive into things, you uh, you captivated the audience uh, with uh, a reading from. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yes, yes, you I did. I was there. <laughs> um, but you chose a very interesting passage from from the Old Testament, one that I was not um, really familiar with. Um, I believe it's Lamentations from, I don't know, do you, do you know what book that is from? My, the Book like, of Lamentations. Oh, it's its, its own book. Okay. It's a book. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did only like the most cursory digging to enough uh-huh. to find that like this kind of, um, so I don't know, a very brief summary of the Book of Lamentations is just like Lamentations about the destruction of the, the city of Jerusalem mm-hmm. um, by the Babylonians. But this kind of like poem about, your town being destroyed um, has a kind of other history to it. Um, but it, I don't know, it's such a beautiful work of literature um, that I had never heard. So I was just kind of happy to, uh, to, to experience it for the first time myself. But I don't know, do you, did you, would you feel comfortable like how, what made you pick that passage specifically or, or um, I don't know. Well, it's the only um, it's the only biblical book that has a that it's the shortest one, mm-hmm. as far as I know. At least in the in the Old Testament, I think it's the shortest mm-hmm. one. So yeah. I thought for the for the time slot I was given, it was the closest to being appropriate. Although it was still uh, definitely inappropriate uh, and very long. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. <laughs> it's only about I don't know. It's like five chapters. But it uh, takes about twenty five minutes to read, so which is still an a- <laughs> yeah, I guess it was still an atypical minute, yeah. length to to make people to just subject people to the to the reading of scripture in yeah. a public uh, secular establishment. Uh, well, I know so. for me, I was kind of it took me a while. Eventually, I kind of realized that like for for a second, I was kind of wondering like, is this a a riff? You know experimentation with biblical language but with the time i mean i think that the the length of it in particular you know like after i don't know it, five ten minutes i'm not sure i was, I was like, in awe oh I yeah like my jaw I, my, I, my, i was just like soy facing i was like yeah. wait did you, i was like did yeah. she write this and i'm like if yeah. so she's very tiny handwriting because there's a lot there's a the lot book, on that page the book you were reading from i was like i was like floored yeah. and i slowly had these realizations and i was like oh yeah. wait this might oh oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> felt very advanced um but something else the the book in particular made me think about was I don't know, the, the transmutation of suffering, of, you know, kind of awful traumatic experience into art. Um, okay. And I was thinking more about the relationship between suffering and art. I mean, there's that, you know, like a, the saying, like, you need, you need to suffer for your art. Um, and I, I don't really know if I, if I really believe that to be true, but I was, I don't know, do, do you think about um, suffering or, or how it might inform your own artistic output? It's such, it's such a, um, embarrassing thing to answer, uh, especially for anyone, for anyone who knows me, that was kind of, uh, well, I mean, as I said, I don't, I shouldn't make too many references to anything I've done in the past, but that was sort of one of the, 
things that people, one of my sort of uh, idiosyncrasies maybe is how much I talked about suffering, mm. um, which, but, but I, now I'll say though, I, I don't think that that invalidates the question at all. I think as a matter of fact that, that the way that I used to conceive of suffering was sort of juvenile. Mm-hmm. And all even even my conception of how it related to art was sort of juvenile, or at least it was not as sophisticated as maybe it is now. So so perfectly reasonable question to ask, and uh, and I almost it's just I I'm like reflexively embarrassed thinking back on how I used to um, conceive of this because mm-hmm. I don't think that I it's not that I didn't I never truly suffered it's that I never truly um, transfigured before I I think that uh, that that in fact uh, that it is sort of essential to art, uh, suffering, but that, I mean, just, just as suffering is essential to, um, uh, religion. Yeah. Of course, I think that because I'm a Catholic, people of other denominations might disagree, but for Catholics, you know, Catholics get a bad rap. Everybody thinks that Catholics are obsessed with suffering. I mean, really not. I think it's, 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 it's different. I, I mean, now as a Catholic, I have this bias, but I think it's like a certain level of discernment that, allows someone I mean that's why I believe in Catholicism that's why I am a Catholic it's it's more that that this is the the nature of our existence of our reality of our redemption as well because of how Christ suffered and so we take up our crosses in the manner of Christ and, and following in uh, in in his um, passion so yeah. well I think passion I mean is a really key word and while suffering to the I don't know the in the contemporary language has like such a expressly negative connotation, but the word compassion is, you know, etymologically related to passion, you know, the, the Latin passio means suffering directly. And so compassion is to suffer, to with. suffer with. Yeah. Um, and that, I, I think, I mean, love as a, as a word in English means too much and too little at the same time, but mm-hmm. to suffer together, to experience someone else's uh, pain to the extent that that is possible by way of empathy. I mean, it is a kind of suffering, um, I suppose, but I don't know. It, it feels more complex than the kind of way that term is thrown around. I, I almost feel like the more, yeah. uh, the more mature or advanced, it's like suffering with yourself, right? Mm. You have to have compassion for yourself during the artistic process as opposed to like, because I think when I was younger, I definitely idolized suffering artists just I just thought that was a thing that you had to do just to suffer until I realized that I had to have empathy for my own suffering which would allow me to have what you're talking about empathy for other people's suffering so, yeah 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 I there mean, is how, such a thing as senseless suffering or unredeemed suffering that that's really the mm, distinction I think yeah yeah I'm so sure there suffering, are no please go sorry, ahead I don't no, no 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 okay well I don't want to steamroll you on your own Thingy, no, no, this uh, is, we're, we're here to talk to you. Go for it. Wow. <laughs> so, I very, you know, I very rarely speak to anyone. Um, so, so it's, it's, it's both nice and, uh, I guess it's not terrifying, but you know, it's, both, <laughs> it's, it's just, you know, it's different. It's a change of pace for me. Yeah. So I'm very, I'm kind of unsocialized, uh, in a way now, but, um, aren't, aren't we all lately? You know. No, I don't think so. <laughs> not like me. <laughs> But uh, what you're saying about compassion, so there, there are examples of people, and granted, I, I do believe that people who commit uh, acts of evil suffer very much. I think that the reason for their, that for, for their um, sin or their evil mm-hmm. is that they suffer 
actually, but that the suffering that they experience sort of um they don't they don't they don't do the right thing with it they're not approaching God with the suffering they're sort of turning it inward and uh killing themselves inside or suppressing themselves inside, mm-hmm. and thus they feel no empathy for anyone else and when really so I think that that suffering or, or the the way that it's described or talked about or I, I aestheticized or whatever can oftentimes be very narcissistic or very self-absorbed when re- in reality what one should do with that is turn you know turn turn one's heart to the world uh, because in spite of in spite of one's suffering and also in spite of the wrongs that others commit against us uh, we are still meant to love them and Jesus is the, the at least for me a Catholic Jesus is the total exemplar of this because Jesus not only loved those who hated him and who tormented him but he also never did anything wrong he never did anything to warrant that that level of torture or treatment and he loved them and he died for them so if Jesus can do this this is the example for all of us to follow and so suffering doesn't make it's like like i i i think i i suffer sort of more than i ever have in my life at this stage in my mm. life but but in much the same way i i i love others more too and i'm more able to 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 see how i'm meant to love others in spite of the things that they do or that they that they've done or that they've said and um so that that's how I interpret what you're saying about about the, it relate, how it relates to having compassion for others. And compassion is a very active thing. Yeah, I, th- I I have a it's very interesting. Um, thinking I was talking Nate about this earlier, thinking about uh, something one of Jesus's parables about um, basically speaking out against the Pharisees, but um, uh, to be angry at your brother. Is a, is a sin or a crime that's on par with murdering your brother. Because mm-hmm. to be angry at something outside of you is to be angry at the universe or God. And it means it's a projection of anger at yourself. You close yourself off. Right. You you understand them as separate from you, and, and which is incorrect. A- absolutely. And, and in getting back to something that you said earlier, um, Dan, about people who commit who turn inward and then spread their suffering to other people who hurt other people. Mm-hmm. I think psychologically there's also like a broken mechanism in there in which that person in a, through projection is attempting to maybe unconsciously contend with something that happened to them. And by repeating that repetition over and over and over, there is some deeply unconscious desire to come to terms or contend with it, but you can never do that if you're doing it outside of yourself constantly and if you're hurting other mm-hmm. people. It just pulls you further away from your ability to do that. And eventually to to contend with it, that pain, you have to contend with the history of mm-hmm. making others suffer. And that's, that's, that's hard for people. So It's too much for them to bear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that act of opening oneself up to i don't know it to to other suffering to i mean it it really seems like a prerequisite of of any real love that is worthy of the name of you know platonic or i mean of any kind of love but yeah it it, it is it is heartbreaking um and it doesn't feel good all the time but mm-hmm. i don't know i mean i've definitely throughout different time periods of my life been more kind of opened up and more numb. Um, I don't know, trying to mediate that relationship. Um, I, I myself don't have an express spiritual practice. 
um, for, I don't know, probably, you know, a few reasons. Um, but uh, yeah, mediating that, uh, that relationship to suffering seems something that I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling very strongly about recently. I don't know. I've, it's been in my mind. If I, if I think about <clears throat> why I've suffered or how I've suffered, it is, it is more often than not in relation to other people and the things that they've done to me. And I, I, I just don't hate them. And I, I, I don't, it's not even that I hate the things that they've done because I don't really think in terms of the things others have done. I think that in the moment sometimes when someone does something very egregious, of course it's normal and, and reasonable to um, <clears throat> have emotions about it or to, to determine whether it's right or wrong, but it's just that I'm responsible for my own sins and I'm a sinner and I do things that are wrong and I hate the things that I've done that are wrong. And I also hate that I can't do more, that I haven't done more to help these people. Can I, can I ask you uh, what love is to you? What love is? Yeah. Gee, <laughs> that's a, um, <clears throat> that's a big, that's a, you know, big Very question. big. Very big. <laughs> I know it's, a, it's big, but yeah. I mean, it can be broken into to components, but I find our subjective experiences with love really help shape everything else that we're talking about here. So yeah. just curious. I think I know more about love now than I ever did in, in spite of the fact that I, there's no one, there's, there's almost no one in my life anymore who I can say that I, that I, that I feel loved by. Uh, I, I'm very alone now. I mean, I've I've lost the love of my life. I, I've I've lost I've lost almost everything. I've lost a uh, family. I've lost all sense of identity. I've lost anything that really gra- grounded me in this world. Um, I, and and I and I've been betrayed in in the closest relationships of of, of my life. You know, the most important ones that have been more or less they've been they were I was betrayed by them or they were broken in some manner. So so I mean I'm saying this is someone who who seems on the at least superficially uh loveless. <laughs> like I'm not I mean I I, I am. Uh I, and I, I feel that way. I feel very isolated. So it's it's one of those strange paradoxes, you know, it's kind of like the night of faith, I think, in Kierkegaard. Now, now I don't know really anything about this because I've never read philosophy, but the night of faith is both he's both uh he's he's both great and and uh and pathetic, you know. He is both um he's both in good company and very alone. And and I think that this is also just the the generally speaking the life of a of a faithful person is that you're at the same time you're never alone and you're always alone. Uh, because on this earth, I mean, God is with us in all that we do. God is with me now in this moment. I mean, God is with me eternally. God has been with me since before I ever existed, and He will be with me beyond my existence. He is eternal, you know, and and I and I'm I'm always with Him. My existence is entirely bound up in God, and yet God is not. God does not speak to us or appear to us in the ways that that you know things that are that are. Uh, uh, empirical in this world do, and so it, it's not like it's not like an illusion to say that that I'm still alone. And in fact, the closer to God that I am, the more alone that I feel. And it's like um, Saint Francis would write about having left the world. I mean, at a certain point in one's faith, it requires you to to be uh, to almost a, to, to to. It's a, not necessarily a choice that one makes. It's just sort of like at a certain point, you're no longer part of the world anymore. And so, where are you really? Because you aren't dead. So you're sort of in between, 
Um, so, and yet this, this is the position in which a person is more able to love others. Because once, I think, once, once you are no longer really a part of the world in the traditional sense, or at least you're sort of borderline, uh, then, then a lot of things, like, I mean, a lot of things are just stripped away. A lot of the stakes are gone. Like, I, I, I can say that I love the people who, who tormented me. Uh, in my in my life in my childhood and and you know my younger adult life and stuff I can say that I love them I can say that I love people who abused me I can say I love people who abuse me still um it's it's not easy it's it's painful to love people who who do things to harm you when you when you know that that that, that it's like that, that that this is this presents an impossibility because they cannot love me the way that I love them, or they cannot love me back, or we cannot have a reconciliation. It's not possible in this life. That's sort of the conclusion I've come to about certain relationships, that a reconciliation in this life is impossible. All of this will be reconciled when we die. I do believe that, because in heaven people receive beatific vision, and, and so they have a full understanding, and also there are no more boundaries. These boundaries are raised. I guess that's what it means to love, then, is to love like, like you are in heaven now on earth because the kingdom of heaven is imminent and transcendent and and the kingdom of heaven also can be brought to earth through the agents uh, who are the faithful these these actors we act on behalf of god and so by by being uh truly christian or compassionate moral people we're able to bring this sort of heavenly love to earth and to others yeah yeah i i mean i i completely agree there's there's so much to get in um in uh into there uh, something I've, I've been struck by, so I, I studied Greek and Latin um, in college, and um, it's made me <laughs> somewhat, you know, kind of outside. Um, I, it's, a, it's a different guy. It gives you definitely a different perspective on a lot of things. But one thing that it really drilled into my mind was how impoverished the word love is um, in English um, and in the Greek philosophy that moved into Christianity, they distinguish between agape, um, caritas, um, different modalities of what fall under the larger umbrella term um, of love uh, in English. Um, and so trying to separate the agape, I guess, for a, I don't know, a two-sentence definition is, the, is grace. I think it's more often mm -hmm. translated um, into English, um, but that sort of love that that seems to to um, to be that sort of love that you identify that comes more easily as you start um, down the path of faith and other things start to fall away. Um, it seems easy to to let that slip into romantic versions of love that we find in our, our general culture, media, um, I don't know, from, from movies, literature, et cetera. Um, I, I think that fundamental confusion, um, I don't know, it trips, it trips a lot of people up. Um, and I, I think people may feel they're looking for one sort of love or looking to practice one sort of love. Um, and they might be misled without this kind of a more nuanced understanding of, or historical understanding of, of these kind of different modalities that are, you know, elaborated in, in Christian um, theology, philosophy, um, and, and in, in lots of other places too.
People are very misguided about it. Um, I, f I feel bad I didn't actually answer the question of what, what is love to me or what does it mean. And I, it seems like an oversimplification, but I think like fundamentally it, it does mean forgiveness. It's unconditional forgiveness. Um, I think is really the, the chief characteristic of what it is to love someone because it's a forgiveness acceptance, especially those who express contrition, but even those who don't. Um, it doesn't mean, of course, to, to give them total leeway to be, you know, uh, horrible to you or something. It's not what I mean at all. It's just that for the, rather to hold that feeling in your heart for them. Um, but, uh, but what you were saying about, I mean, uh, people who are seeking certain types of love who don't really understand what they're seeking or they think they want one thing and they really, you know, it's very superficial or something or very, very specific... I feel I feel badly for those people, and also it's it's a bit of a pet peeve of mine because there's so many people who say that oh you know I hear this I, I'm gonna say it in a sort of mocking way, and I feel bad because especially in this season of Lent I shouldn't be mocking anybody, so I'm very sorry, and uh, and I'll probably go to confession tomorrow, and maybe I'll say something about it to the priest if I'm really mean. But I just everybody says this thing oh we're so atomized, everybody's so alone, oh we're so atomized, blah blah blah. It's like the dumbest thing ever. Like we're so atomized, we're so alone. Nobody is social anymore. We're all on our computers, blah, blah, blah. Like, these are people who, for the most part, have never really... I mean, there's a fundamental level of suffering that everyone experiences, no matter how uh, privileged they are or whatnot. But, but, um, but these are people who, in the, in the sort of broad sense, have never truly suffered in their lives, like a, a truly horrible and egregious things, but who complain about loneliness and, and lovelessness in a very superficial way. And also a lot of those people become bitter and then they turn that suffering outward onto others. Well, it's like if you're really that lonely and you're in this position where you have all this empty time and you have what you feel like are unfulfilling social relationships, do you know how easy it would be to to go into uh, marginalized and vulnerable communities and to volunteer your time in charitable efforts and help people, people who would love you, people who would really love you for the things that you did and who would immediately provide affection and gratification for those things out of true gratitude. Like if you were to volunteer at a soup kitchen feeding the hungry or if you were to even stop on the street and give money to homeless people or to go to a, a senior center or like a rehabilitation center for for disabled people or for children or any any such there's so many there are more opportunities than one can imagine for for a charitable volunteering that exists and it's like if you could just see outside yourself enough to go go and express love to these people they would love you too and that would feel good it would do something good for others so I, that's what I think. I think a lot of people, when they think of, you know, what what is the love that they're seeking, it's very one-sided and self-absorbed and, and objectifying, it's which isn't love at all. It's mm -hmm. probably the, I mean, this is a reach, but let me reach here. It's, it's probably like, you know, some childhood wounds. It's the, some probably pre-verbal lack, right? Some desire that is like deeply felt, <laughs> but like deeply misunderstood because you would have to be a person who is you know, looks inward like we've been talking about. Well, if love is something that is understood popularly to be a kind of object that is a, to be acquired, um, then, yeah, I don't know if, you, if there's a sense of entitlement that... Well, I'm imagining the person who could potentially understand going to help people in the community could make them feel better, but they won't because what they probably immediately need in an unconscious way is just to be like love for what they are in that moment for doing nothing because there's such a, there's such a lack in there. I think it's because they want to have sex you know? with girls. <laughs> Mostly. 
Yeah, and you know that, and that's another way people try to fulfill that desire, um, pure, purely externally and physically. And it, you know, it's maybe, the pre-verbal, pre-verbal lack of sex with girls. There you go. You know, but like I, I, I feel, I honestly feel like that's that's the reasons can only be inferred why people can't see what the, the simple logic of what you're putting together. It obviously makes sense. You help people and you immediately can feel that compassion. But I'm just imagining people who weren't helped growing up. I mean, to... Who, who don't yeah. recognize that as love. Well, they yeah. are fearful of it for whatever reason because something was taken from them or they were hurt or I don't know. You, you know, can't so. have love without opening yourself up to suffering. And if you never had that experience, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, often a lot of people's coping mechanisms that are learned early on in life are to turn inward or to isolate themselves from the world through whatever way they can. And I, I believe that continues well into the rest of your life unless you, you take a look at that and see what's going on. So the idea of helping someone outside of you to help yourself is probably such a foreign concept in that sense. So, Yeah, it, the way that self-care, um, the, the rhetoric of... The kind of self-validation that has been, I don't know, uh, twisted maybe from its original intention, um, but has become so, I don't know, reduced to Grubhub advertisements on the subway, essentially, you know, treating yourself. Um, it, it seems absurd that, treating you know, to- Treating yourself to, to like a $45 burrito yeah, from to, Chipotle. To help, to have yeah. self-care is to sometimes be rigorously critical of oneself. Um, and one's actions. And so, um, you know, I, I don't always subscribe to the, the kind of framework and, and language of, of sin particularly, um, but I, it, from, the, you know, the way that I interpret sin, to, to recognize the sin within yourself, maybe it's um, uh, actions that tend towards separation, um, but to not be rigorously critical of um, those failings within yourself and to want acceptance uh, without, without giving anything. I had a question, um, you know, earlier on you were t- talking about what I recognize as like different states of awareness, you know, the one of you as the individual and the one as you with God uh, or of God, or, you know, however you want to look at that. And then the third state is those two simultaneously, which I find in my life, that's something I'm still working on. Um, you know, they, depending on where you're looking at it from, uh, like the Christian mystic, pre-Neoplatonist, pre-dualism point of view would be like, you know, unitative awareness. Um, and, or, you know, the Upanishads would call it dualism and non-dualism. Or, the, or like, you know, the, I mean, Jesus had a version of the Zen cone as well. But, you know, at first the mountains are mountains and then there's nothing there at all. Then the mountains are mountains again. And I think that echoes the same three modes of awareness there. You as the ego-driven self. You as purely experiencing sublimation of the self through God. So you don't exist. And then the third like walking both paths, which is, I think, what you were kind of getting at. Um, yeah, how do you come back? How do you go out into the woods like St. Francis, but then... While maintaining that awareness, back. living here. And, like, yeah. I know that people have 
there's all these schools of thought that have popped up around it. I mean, I know with the turn of the century, it's like the theosophists, the perennials, everyone had their own bizarre system of it. But the whole point, I think, of like the early, the early, the early Christian mysticism, the early Gnostic stuff, uh, the early stuff of the Torah, it's, it's about kind of stepping out of ritual and realizing, like you said earlier, that, that it's, it's both eminent and transcendent, and it requires a perspective shift or a change in paradigm more so because it is like gloriously mundane and it requires something like that um, instead of meditating for 45 years or like, you know, some self-flagellation or whatever, whatever it is you're doing to try to live in like a purely unitive state. It's like walking both paths, being here, being you, the individual, and also being uh, within God. Yeah. So. I guess it's not really a question. I was just, I was just looking back on, I, that's kind of what I was thinking of while you're talking about being maybe perhaps alienated or without love. And yet, you know, the love you experience with God constantly, but then there's also you, the self and the friction or the perhaps disconnect between those things as we work to resolve that dialectic or ameliorate it through the Trinity or however you want to look at it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think about any of that? Because I know that so I know that kind of verges on other faiths. But I've I've I read a lot of Jesus's teachings as basically documents of interiority, and uh, that's just kind of where I'm coming from with things. So I I don't have a problem with other faiths, which is it's funny because I, I remember one time I uh, had I used to have a friend who was who was a who was a Protestant <laughs> who. Um, would try to goad me into saying that Christianity was the one true religion, and and I mean, when I'm put on the spot like that, you know, I, like, I don't really know what to. Yeah, Protestants. Protestants again. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I'm put on the spot like that, I don't really, I don't really know what to say. But in reality, it's like it, it's kind of silly to say Christianity is like because Christianity derives so much from Judaism, yep. and Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all share some much of the same uh, scriptural basis, many mm -hmm. of the same figures. I think it's ridiculous to say that um, that Christianity somehow, which which derives from these other religions, is the only legitimate one. Uh, I I mean, you know, so I I don't have any problems, especially with, um, especially also considering how the scripture was was formed in the first place, how it was written, uh, mm -hmm. taking so much influence from the the contemporaneous ancient cultures, uh, yeah. in particular in the Old Testament. So. Uh, it's, it's, it's just something that, and also I just believe in the, the, um, goodness, what's the word for this, I guess, um, just every, absolutely everyone has a soul. So I, mm -hmm. I don't really like when also when, when Christian or uh, other religious people say, well, that person's immediately going to hell because they're of a different denomination mm -hmm. or something. I just think that's awful because that, that doesn't at all evaluate the, their, their good works. I, I mean, if, yeah, if there's, a, if there's a heaven and some of my friends can't get in, then that's how I know it's hell, right? Like, I'm not, I'm sorry, <laughs> but I won't go in there. Though. I mean, I wish I could say I relate. I don't have any friends, but, uh, but if, I, I, if I did, I guess I would feel that way. Paul, you can count the, the hosts of pneumatic material. Yeah, we're your friends. <laughs> One, I don't know if this um, really kind of gets back to Derek, what you were saying, but... I guess you're just asking about well, these states of awareness. But I, I'm wondering... Nate, yes. the Nate, yeah. Nate with God, and then the third, Nate, Nate, and Nate with God. Well, I'm, together I'm wondering if, if... That is like yeah. the thing that I see as a pin through all of the great faiths. Yeah. That the early Christian mystics, the Gnostics, the early Jews, like everyone 
was getting at that. Well, but in terms of way of, of ways to negotiate that difficulty, I was wondering if if the creation of art um, figures in somehow. Is there a way that art making or any kind of artistic practice um, can kind of help to to reconcile? Um, because I know um, for you. Um, Ashley re redacted. We can, I can edit that. Edit that out. Um, we can just but, do like a sound, like a like yeah. a horn, just like a shofar or like some yeah, like, kind like of a divine like a bullhorn. Horn. You're blowing yeah. an unpronounceable symbol. <laughs> yeah, any kind of audio signature. Uh, but yeah, I I know God is is intimately connected to your art making practice. Um, do you see? Um, that as a, as a kind of way of, of negotiating that, um, getting out into the, into the weeds and then trying to, to rein things back in to, you know, to live in, in this world. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, I realize we're just kind of like, do you agree with the but, fall? But, but you know what? No, we, no, we haven't, we haven't really more. gotten into your art practice. So perhaps we I can I can't talk believe we're talking about my art practice. Wow. We can, people well, we can treating me like I have one. You do well. Whatever it is for you, um, that those that ex, those expressive moments. Yeah, artistic practice in the broadest possible interpretation. Maybe not too no, broad. No, I, I mean it. I think I think I, at this point in my life, I deserve to be called an artist. I think I've sort of earned it. Uh, sort of. I think I've uh, okay. Fifty uh, more than fifty percent earned it. I think more than fifty percent. I've earned the right. I'm not all the way there yet, but I, I've I'm just over the halfway mark. I've earned the right to be called an artist. If I'm 51%. That's, right. that's, fair to me. that's yeah. cool. Since it's the majority, you can call me an artist. Yeah, yeah, so. exactly. We'll round up to artist. <laughs> what's what's well, below that then? <laughs> what? Well, I think that the only way for me to exist actually as an entity in the world is to be an artist. Mm -hmm. Um, that wasn't even what I was going to say, but just thinking back to what really your question was and how to negotiate existence in the world, I think that, that I think that's really the only way for me to, to do it. Um, because art is both, art is both, uh, natural and unnatural. It is authentic and inauthentic. And art is both, uh, you know, it's, it's, it can be, it's, it's intimate and it's uh, performative. Simultaneously, it's it's all of these things, and I'm I'm almost like a, you know in a way I, I don't feel like a real person, and I think that as I have uh, become more religious and the the tragedies of my life have multiplied and they've sort of changed me fundamentally, I feel less and less like a person all the time, and I think that this is maybe just true also of of generally speaking religious development uh, that you feel less and less like a person because many of the, the touchstones of personhood, the certain basic you know, creature comforts and needs and wants are not as real to you anymore. So, so then what makes me a person? I mean, what defines me as a person? Should I, should I like to be defined by the people who immediately surround me? I don't think so. Um, I, I, and, and also, I, I just am someone who's chronically misunderstood by the world, <laughs> which mm -hmm. sounds like a terrible thing to say. It sounds like, because it makes me feel like I'm, 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 you know, it's so adolescent or something. But How, how do but you feel true. misunderstood? Oh, my God. Uh, let's, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to embarrass myself, but I, <laughs> and like in almost every conceivable way, I, I, I don't feel understood by anyone at all. And it's actually quite um, 
The reason I laugh is because it's actually quite painful, but to talk about it, it will make me seem ridiculous. But it's actually quite painful because, and that's that's also something that is uh, that is one of the qualities of love, uh, understanding. And what I lack most in life, and, and the one thing that I can't seem to let go of yet, is is understanding. I wish I had understanding. Uh, I, I, at one point in my life, I did. I had there were there were a couple of people in my life who understood me, who I felt understood by, and I felt I felt such a security in that understanding. It was effortless. It was like oceanic. It was uh, it was, and, and all I needed was that one, you know, relationship that made me, in which I felt understood, to feel sort of grounded and assured against the, the hideousness of the world. And, um, and I've lost that. So those people are dead now. So I, I've lost that utterly. I mean, with, again, I, can, I could just as easily say, well, God understands me. Yes, God understands me more perfectly than anyone ever could, those people or anyone else. And yet, uh, though I have his understanding, it is so painful to, to walk around in this world and to interact with people with this fundamental disconnect uh, because I feel totally alone. So, so while I still feel connected to the understanding that I experience with these individuals, they've died. I can't talk to them anymore. I can't see them anymore. Um, so, so I suppose that with my artistic practice, it isn't, it isn't so much like I'm, I'm fighting with being misunderstood or I'm attempting to be understood because I'm really not. In fact, I think art is sort of the opposite of understanding. Art is sort of like an obfuscation or, or it's like a distillation of something to its purest form, its most ideal form, which is to say something that is beyond comprehension, really. Uh, that's how I feel about classical music. That's what I've always loved about classical music because the greatest singers of, of all time, and who knows, maybe I'll be one of them someday, uh, but the greatest singers of all time, the, their their uh, talents, what they produce with their with their instrument, their their bodies, their, their physical selves, is beyond comprehension. It does not sound like something of which a human should be capable, and there's something inhuman about it. It's it's superhuman. So um, it's both superhuman and subhuman, really, because it's it's sort of animalistic as much as it is, as it is uh, transcendent. It doesn't sound like anything li like a human. It doesn't seem human at all. So to me, that is the that is the the purpose of art. Really, it's to um, serve an ideal and it's to approximate an ideal as much as that is possible and to project that, uh, which which really doesn't make people very close to you at all. I mean, it, it can provide this this sort of universal, wonderful experience. I, I like to move people. I like to, to, to um, affect people. You know, I like to also, uh, I think through art, it's a way that God can be made manifest in, in a person. And so if what I produce, I, I, I only want to produce works that that uh, in which God can be made manifest, that that to others will prove the existence of God. So, so that those are all those are all to me perfectly reasonable uh, outcomes, desirable outcomes, but they don't bring anyone closer to me. So, so the so the idea it's just it's so it's not even like a struggle against maybe rather an acceptance of the fact that I, I will never be understood by anyone again, possibly. <laughs> well, I mean they they don't bring anyone closer to you yet. I feel like you're on a more avant tip with like reading I guess for instance reading from the book of no wait seriously reading from the book of lamentations isn't that one of the most simple one of the simplest things I could possibly I didn't even write the damn thing but but no. in, even so <laughs> it's some in <laughs> a way decision. it feels I know a lot of what you're t talking about you know about suffering alone and the lack with love and 
being true Sorry, to yourself. Sorry, I called it the damn thing, by the way. Sorry, no, it's call, call, whatever you, call it whatever you want. That. Uh, no, I shouldn't do that. Uh, <laughs> be, be, being true to yourself and, and, and finding a sense of alienation through it. The Book of Lamentations is very fitting. It's a city. It's God's chosen people under siege by Nebuchadnezzar. And that's written by someone who's witnessing, like the, I think, the three days leading up to when they, the walls were actually penetrated. Mm-hmm. But the walls, it's a fortified city, so you have also have the nomadic tribes who have moved back into it. There are more people than the city can hold. Before they're even invaded, it's hellish. There's disease, there are, there's no food, there are mothers eating their own children. It's, it's rough. And there's part of someone who's writing this attempting to reconcile why bad things happen to good people. How could God's chosen people, how could this happen to them? and looking for reasons and failing to find them and that lack of reconciliation that can come with the mystical experience, you know, like the harder you squeeze, the easier it is to drop it, the less likely you are to understand because sometimes we just, you have to hold a mystical place in your heart in which you can't know to actually achieve some sort of resolution of that dialectic. Um, so yeah, I, I'm looking at your work and I find whether or not you consciously chose it, I think it's very prescient and very powerful. At least just what I saw in your last, um, uh, your, last your last public work, it was great. Uh, I mean, Nate and I were floored, so yeah. See, look, look, how, look how smart I am, 51% are in the right. Look at that, are in the right, but, but, I can be. But that's like a true, now. you're like a true artist though. Like yeah. you inti- it's I inti- know. It, it's intuitive, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's very felt. Yeah. And I even know, if very... it seemed random to you, like I think it's, <laughs> no, it's, a, no, no. It, it's, it fulfills everything you were talking about, having to make work that still is for or through God that does reflect your experience. Like I was, you were saying that and I'm like seeing all the check marks in that performance. And I was like, this totally hits all the notes. Yeah. So. Trying to distill, I mean, trying to. I, we never see stuff like that anywhere. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm I know, I know, I'm a genius, I know, I, was I like, know. I was like, this is, this is awesome. Like if, if someone told me <laughs> that's what it was going to be before I left, I would have been like, what? But, yeah. <laughs> but being there, I was just like, oh, wow, this is. I know, I'm so smart. Everything I do is perfect. I'm so yes. great. Uh, well, I mean, I would have liked more yeah. of the night's <laughs> themes to be closer to what you did. I hear you. Because you, like, you opened, it was a very strong open, and I, I just was like, all right, now I'm primed. I'm ready. <laughs> like, I'm ready for the download, you know, I don't know, whatever. Well, I mean, trying to distill, I, I mean, I think uh, the, a, ch- a, choice of, a choice of reading is still a decision, obviously, and, and trying to, um, to, to get back to your point, Diana, about, about art as a kind of distillation, um, I have throughout my life in churches and museums um, experienced moments of profound, you know, as thesis of a kind of felt overpowering sense that I don't know could maybe be classified as as mystical. Um, there, are, there are I'm sure a lot of you know names you could call it, um, but something that has always kind of frustrated me. It's maybe what I see one of the main. Um, reasons uh, for art's existence is this desperate attempt to try to transmute or try to translate um, an intensely subjective felt experience mm-hmm. into a form that can be appreciated by, you know, maybe not everyone, um, but can, can cross this divide um, of the, you know, the boundaries of individual subjectivity. Um, 
And I, it's, it's interesting to have, you know, for, I've encountered it in the kind of lexicon and vocabulary of, I don't know, contemporary modern art, um, but also in kind of older religious contexts. Um, I don't know, this also kind of makes me think about um, kind of jumping around here, but the, I, I know in one of our previous conversations, I asked you, or it was brought up, you know, when did art f start fucking up? You know, far, uh, when, when, did, um, when did that movement, um, you know, really, really get away? Um, and while I do think there are some um, aspects of contemporary art making, I mean, uh, it's, it's impossible to make, you know, a kind of blanket judgment about contemporary art practice. Um, but while I do see some aspects of, of people still trying to, to maybe translate um, personal experience, um, I don't know. Do you, I, I, I really appreciated your reading as a kind of attempt to, to translate um, a moment or a, a, a feeling, a subjective uh, feeling of, I don't know. It, it seems to speak to, uh, to the currency of spirituality um, in, I don't know, online spaces. That sounds so silly to say, but it, it really did seem to kind of be of the moment. Sorry. Or, um, yeah, no, I, I don't mean to just, uh, you know. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. You. Yeah. You're not wrong. There's we're like, we're there's, in an online space right now. I yeah. Guess. Oh, God. You, you, you know, uh, <laughs> virtual. We are in the online space. Virtual spaces. <laughs> yeah, virtual spaces. Yeah. <laughs> But it was real, I swear. It was all real. I was really there. <laughs> but no, actually about, um, you know, making so God real. manifest through art. That's what actually this podcast is going to do. <laughs> that's why we started the podcast. Oh, really? To, no. Oh, Bring about God, the kingdom no. of Christ. <laughs> no, I mean, the, the, <laughs> I, I feel shame every time the word podcaster I shudder to think. It's that a new I media project, okay? <laughs> it's a <laughs> new media project. <laughs> If you feel ashamed, why why would you do it? Well, it's, I think you're what, just no, cring, I, cringing I, at the the associations of being. I a I, I do feel that it can be a vehicle, um, and in some ways, uh, you know, I I've, I've written a few things. Um, I do think that writing um, has a lot of strength. That um, mm -hmm. broadcasting or you know the, that. A, a kind of recorded conversation doesn't have, um, but for better or worse, probably mostly worse, um, it <laughs> does feel like a format that um, people are kind of used to engaging with. Mm -hmm. um, and so, Maybe it feels a little too consumptive. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, it is a kind of a thing to be to be put on in the background in, in most you know in most cases, and while. Uh, you don't, you don't just sit and give perfect attention to the podcast when you listen. Yes. You're terrible. Yeah, I stare terrible at the person. wall just like my grandfather looking at the, you know, the big 1930s radio. <laughs> um, what, the, what the hell are we talking about? <laughs> We've gotten oh, way, God. way off topic here. Um, well, but, I, you want me to say something? Yeah. No, uh, sure. Say something. <laughs> if, you have, if you have something to say about all everything all right. we just rattled <laughs> off of you. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Why not? Um, well, uh, well, well. To be honest, I think that 
part of the reason that I I'm now I'm now interested in public performances. I I feel like this is one of the only venues for me to do any kind of legitimate expression. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because I there are many elements of which I'm in control, and at the at the next one or at whatever future ones I of course need to control certain elements that that for this one I wasn't uh, anticipating mm-hmm. you know being the way that they were but even even so I I can um actually reinvent myself doing these and I also they also provide a, a context where I can I can basically I can do whatever I want and I can present it exactly how I want to um whereas you know if you're if you're in working in media or if you're doing something online then you're sort of beholden to the interests of other people uh, especially if you're like in publishing, you want to write something, and it has to be formulated for the publisher, and and you know their their uh, requirements as far as tone and subject and language and things like that. And you know, no one no one's going to publish. If I ever wrote poetry, no one no one would ever ever publish it unless I became famous, <laughs> and then and then they would publish it because I was famous. You know, they wouldn't publish it for the merits that it might have because uh, it would be written in a style that is not very popular these days. And um, I think that in the prior conversation we had that you were referencing about about when did art really kind of fall off, and I think that the answer I would have given was um, when it when it stopped being sacred, when the concern of it was no longer sacred, and it's because really this is my opinion, but I happen to think that it's the right opinion. Um, Art, art is meant to be sacred. Uh, you know, art that isn't sacred isn't isn't art. It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, what, what's the point of making something that isn't sacred or attempting uh, to to be uh, sacred or, or to, to capture the sacred? Uh, I understand, of course, the utility or the the um, value of um, transmuting a subjective experiences <clears throat> into something of beauty. Uh, I still think that that's in line with the sacred, though, because I see it as it's similar to when when in Catholicism we say to offer up our suffering to Christ. So by offering up our suffering to Christ, he transmutes it. Uh, it's just as, you know, the, the, the passion preceded the resurrection, just the suffering precedes this, this glorious moment or this glorious moment. Uh, object or product. Um, so, so it isn't as though it has nothing to do with the subjective. As a matter of fact, most of the, most of the religious is subjective because all we really have to go on as far as our experiences of religion, you know, aside from scripture and, and uh, texts of, I mean, but all, but all the texts of saints and, and mystics and whatnot, those are based in uh, subjective experiences for the most part. I mean, really the, the, the experience of God is, the, is incredibly subjective because because we experience God uh, in in our lives. I mean, it's it's not necessarily sensory in the way that you know looking at something that's a, smelling a flower is sensory, but still, it's a subjective experience. Um, one thing I really don't like about literature, or rather, I guess, about art and the, the certain trends in art, um, is that things are no longer transmuted. I feel things things are no longer. There's no real interest in in transforming an experience. It's just that people write very plainly about their experiences and I think that that's perverted actually I think it's wrong and I and I try to I, I have a tendency you know I haven't written anything in a long time and maybe I'll try to write something again because I think that's also the next step for me that's that's the only reason I was really talking badly about my performance it's just that the only problem with it is that uh, now it was great for what it was but the only problem with it is that what I what I read was not an original text and and the 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 next for me to really earn the right to be an artist, I have to do something mm. original. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but when so, was the last time someone never... made the Old Testament relevant to anybody? 
like out. I'm, I mean, I'm not talking about within church. I'm not talking about within faith. I'm talking about specifically within the environment we were in. We were at a we were at a performance bar in the East Village of New York City. Right? It's a it's a place where the downtown literati has all sorts of things going on all the time. And I feel like those environments almost matter more because oh, that's where flat. people are. Thank people you. aren't expecting that, right? You go to church and, or a temple or a place of worship and you expect me. it. But, but there, you know, because like, again, you can go to church and you can tune out for the whole sermon because for most people it's like, well, I went to church. I did the thing. I'm going to go fuck off for the rest of the week. Like, I think maybe in the modern world or in this today's, in this day and age, like there's more of a chance for the transubstantiation or the transfiguration that you're talking about within those moments because you, because you don't expect it and your guard is down. The set of expectations you have of being in that venue are different. So even if it wasn't your own work, I understand how you feel, but I think there's a value, you know, because like Nate was talking about, like I was talking about the felt experience of that specific selection from the Bible you can feel that today. You can, you, can, you can feel like the city under siege. You can live in a country that is literally under siege. Mm -hmm. You can live in a hyper-capitalist world and feel like you were born into something under a siege that you don't understand. I think it's a valuable feeling, and that's the power of these stories. If they have historical basis like that, fantastic. And if they're just a parable or a metaphor, that's fine too. If it's Grecian history where it's mostly a myth and we can't distinguish reality from myth, that's even better. You know, we can... There's an uh, inf inference and a projection. There's a back and forth, an interiority, exteriority that happens in these moments that I think is really powerful. So, yeah, I mean, I'd love to, I'd be, what kind of stuff are you thinking about writing in that sense? I mean, I may, you know, maybe you're not there yet, but I'm just, I'm just intrigued based off what you read. Well, that's what I'm afraid of, is that I'll find I can't actually do it if I try, which, I, which is ridiculous. That's a ridiculous thing to, but, but you know, with, um, it's My very human, lessons. though. It's very human. Yeah, sure. yeah. Well, see, I'm human after all. Uh, with, with, with my with my voice lessons, when I started lessons with my current teacher, it was a few months after my. I had a major surgery two years ago, and uh, you know when we, there, I had a I have a prosthesis and everything. I mean, I've told you both about it probably, or you've heard about it maybe. But um, I had this major surgery. It actually changed the position of my head and my neck and stuff inside. Where uh, when I first um, tried after first attempted after my surgery to sing, and I I I've been singing all my life essentially. I started training when I was twelve, thirteen, or something, whatever. So by the time I got surgery, it had been interrupted here and there. I didn't take it seriously when I was younger, but still, this was a consistent feature of my life that I was I was a singer. This was my instrument. I was a musician. After my surgery, I couldn't sing anymore. I didn't know how. Because the the uh, you know like uh, literally the 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 my my the physical configuration of these parts of my body was different. I didn't know how to I had to, I didn't know how to talk actually. I didn't know how to I wasn't I mean swallowing, eating, drinking things, walking things to take for you know I would have taken for granted. Of course, uh, we're all different, but but this in particular was very um, frightening for me because it was all of a sudden I actually didn't know how to produce the sound anymore. And so when I started with this teacher who is now one of the most important people in my life. Uh, I, I was, on my first lesson, I was horrible. <laughs> like, I was really horrible. And she told me that at the time, in, in, in her mind, she was thinking she wasn't sure if she was going to continue teaching me because she didn't think there was any hope for me. 
uh, she didn't think that I could produce anything uh, good. I mean, she wasn't sure what, what, what could possibly be, especially with my injuries, with my surgery and my condition and all of that, and with what I produced during the lesson. She thought that, that, that it was hopeless, but she, but she decided, based on how I expressed my, my passion for music, she decided to take the risk and continue teaching me anyway. After the first lesson, I broke down. Uh, I was hysterical. I was hysterically sobbing because I thought I would never, I could never make it to... You know, all, all I had this sort of life. It's like a life and death thing for me. Whether or not I'm an artist is a life and death concern. It's like if I if I can't do it, I'll die. And if I don't, but I don't know if I can or I can't. And so that there's that tension too. Like that drives me insane, not knowing if I can or I can't. So my entire life, I wondered, would I ever even be given the opportunity to know if I could be a great classical musician? And and whether or not I would even ever know, like, drove me almost insane to the point I, where I really almost committed suicide over it. Uh, and then that at that moment it was like here here decisively, here I will finally find out if I if I can or I can't. And it seemed insurmountable, you know, to reach the point where I would. It's like because it, you know all all signs are pointing to I can't <laughs> like physically, really. Uh, and the thing is now it's been almost two years I've worked with her and I mean, I'm, I'm great. You know, I'm not, I, there's nothing, I, I can say that with confidence. I mean, it's just objectively true. Like I'm, I'm great. I'm a great musician and I'm much better than I ever imagined I would be. So it does take overcoming that in order to be an artist, which is like such a stupid thing to say, but that's, that's almost, it's, it's almost ridiculous. It's like, it's really true. Um, I feel like I am so well positioned to finally be an artist and to finally create something that is unimpeachably good. And now that I'm, I've reached this point, when I was a kid, you know, I wasn't afraid of failing. I just mm. did whatever and it sucked. You know, it was terrible. <laughs> I didn't yeah. care. I didn't think about this. I didn't think I was terrible, but I was, you know. And now now it's like finally I, I, I have the potential not to be terrible and I'm, and I'm terrified. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we must be like children to enter the kingdom of God, right? I mean, it's it's uh, what you're saying rings rings true. We have to uh, get over this the self or the limitations of our our ego, the things that we tell ourselves. To I think that's a very relatable concept. I mean, it's very easy to take direction and work for other entities, mm -hmm. or organizations, or people, but to really step out on your own and believe in something you're doing without some objective system evaluation outside of you telling you if it's good or yeah. it's bad. It's hard. It has to come from like. from with within, and it has to be strong. You know, and I, I was thinking the other day, ironically, if you stick with these things hard enough, like the system does reward you. They're like, oh, that person is enough of an individual and has enough of a unique thing going on, and they've been out in left field for so long that we value that as an authentic mm -hmm. expression. Let's bring them back into the fold and see, and you know, now that they're influencing other people. So it's it's an interesting. I don't know. It's an interesting dichotomy there. But I really relate to what you're saying. I don't think it's it's stupid at all. I think it's one of the most well, human experiences yeah. of all time. I really. mean, balancing the the critical and the artistic impulse, you know, the, you you move from from the child who creates bad things, you know, but has the <laughs> it has the freedom or or has the, you know, the not the carelessness, but the um it is not caught up so much in in critique. Um but of course, a certain amount of criticism and self-awareness is necessary, but I know something, you know, I, I've only ever kind of dabbled um, in creative artistic endeavors. Um, and the that critical aspect 
is something that has often paralyzed me, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for, for myself, I've, um, I, um, I, I've spent a little more time in school than, than maybe most people. And so academic writing was something um, almost precisely because it does the most to kind of distance itself from any type of authorial voice. Um, it was something that I found myself more capable of doing. Uh, so trying to, trying to critique um, while trying to create, I mean, I, I don't think both of those things can be done at quite the same time, um, but it, it is another kind of constant dichotomy dialectic of, of the creative process. Um, I would also like to interject here that uh, the words downtown literati um, in the East Village are, are nowhere in the Bible. Um, so I just want to oh, get that out of I'm the gonna way. I'm going to get myself flagellation None of those belt words. out, right? I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Thank you for listening to Pneumatic Materials.